What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is Kyle Betts here, as always, joined by Brev and Honda. We are back with episode number 132. Made it this far as we embark into another end-of-year show, uh, almost to that point. Uh, we'll have another one before the end of the year, but uh, as we get uh, towards the end of 2023, we have a special guest here uh, joining us here today, Amber Salas, good friend of the show, and uh, a new uh, Flow Sports employee as well, but she was just hired uh, there, and uh, she's uh, been a guest here on the show in uh, months past, but great to have you back here, uh, Amber. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's crazy. You guys have been doing this that long, that many episodes, but love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Great to see you in your in your new position as well. Like I mentioned, now working for Flow Sports. But uh, before then, your uh, first job straight out of San Diego State, obviously, was uh, working as a reporter uh, in Iowa, and uh, plenty of experience there covering news and sports. Obviously, uh, sports, as we all know, is your is your passion, but. Uh, how was the end of your time there and, and the transition transition now to working in Texas, which is obviously such a huge change? Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about. Um, I loved my time. I was in Sioux City, Iowa. Loved my time there. I feel like it's the biggest leap of faith when you're fresh out of college to just move somewhere you've never been to start your career. Um, but I was lucky to end up in such a great station with management that really supported me and my goals and helped set me up for success and a really great team of people that made going to work every day so enjoyable, even when I was so far away from home. But yeah, I feel like it's it's one of those things when you're starting off, most people are on a starter contract that's like two or three years, right? But you don't realize how fast that really goes by. So as I did wrap up my time there, it was almost bittersweet because, you know, as day by day goes on, you're so busy in the grind that you're not really appreciating these little things. But when I, when it was my last day and all these people were saying bye to me and thank you and coaches and athletic directors and SIDs that I've just really gotten to know from being at their schools literally every day that it kind of makes you stop like, wow, this was a really special place and I did get to do something really special. So that makes it all worthwhile to me for, for me. But yes, now I'm turning the page to flow sports and I'm excited for a new opportunity there as well. Yeah. I was going to say just so impressive because you take a huge leap of faith moving halfway across the country and then you, you just do such a great job there developing those relationships, growing your career. And you mentioned now moving to Austin, Texas, um, working for Flow Sports. That that's mass that's massive right there. And and so, can can you tell me a little bit more about uh, just your position there and and what exactly you're doing? And then also, how has the transition been? Yes. So I guess my official title with Flow Sports is I'm a content creator. Obviously, a very different space in that it is not local TV anymore. So 
I guess to the non-TV people, I guess, local TV is on every day at the specific times, whether it's the morning shows running from like 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. or, you know, the midday at noon and then 5, 6, 10, whatever it might be for whatever given station. But you're on every day and you have to turn content every day that has to be ready by whatever that deadline is. But that's kind of the thrill of TV and what everyone loves. But Flow Sports is not a TV station, but is producing a lot of content the same way, I guess I would for TV um, and covering a lot of the same stuff. But the difference is Flow Sports is just a digital media company. So most of our stuff is getting pushed to the website and also our live streams. It is a subscription-based company like a Netflix per se, where we live stream a lot of live events like football games, basketball games. They just did a bunch of big basketball holiday tournaments and had like Iowa and Caitlin Clark and LSU and all these big schools. So that's like a cool opportunity as well. But all of it's behind the paywall. You have to have a subscription to watch those. And that's really how their business model works, I guess. But yeah, I guess... A lot of the same skills, like I'll still be hosting a weekly show where we have literally a TV studio type thing being built at the moment that'll be ready in the new year. That literally looks no different than the TV station, the set in my studio. I mean, of course, they're all different, but it looks like a TV set, so to say. Um, So there'll be a lot of cool opportunities to do a lot of content there. Um. I know I've been telling a lot of family and friends about the job now that I've been home and it's so hard to describe because I feel like we just are going to be able to do a lot and I feel like that's what's really exciting for me is in the digital world it's like the opportunities to be creative are almost endless like if you have a good idea and you know how you can execute it then go do it you know so I think that's what really excites me about flow sports is I love a good feature story. I love stuff like that. And the reality is sometimes there's just not enough time in TV. You know, we have to all keep everything in a 30 minute show. But here it's like, if you have a good story, that's going to take five minutes to tell, then do it to the best that you can, you know? So I'm really excited for stuff like that. Yeah, that's so cool. I think you have that opportunity to be versatile and that that's all that matters. That's going to help you so much. And that that sounds so cool too. I, I think that's you know the way that the media world is kind of trending to you know subscription based and um, everything pushed to web is just pretty much how it is nowadays. So yeah, that sounds like a really cool opportunity and uh, really excited for you as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Amber. During your time in Iowa, did you enjoy the snowy weather compared to what you wouldn't get in Southern California? Oh, yeah. Quite the change of scenery, for sure. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I really, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like I liked it. It is kind of magical the first time. And it is kind of fun. I feel like I liked it because I didn't really have to deal with it in the sense that, like, my apartment would shovel things away and keep the roads clear. Whereas, like, if you own a home, you got to do all that yourself, which can be a drag. Um But yeah, my one, last year we got a lot of snow, but I never really had to be out in the elements a whole lot. But this year, conveniently in October, I was covering a college football game where it dumped like five inches of snow at the game. So that was quite the experience. 
it was really fun I think because I knew it wasn't gonna last forever and I wasn't gonna be living there forever I think I'll slightly miss it but I am for sure a beach girl and warm (laughs) weather girl at heart (laughs) now you mentioned Caitlin Clark earlier what was like being able to cover her and being in uh, the state of Iowa so awesome uh I think the biggest thing was just watching the way Iowa in general, like, yes, behind the magic of Caitlin Clark, but that whole team last year was so special going to the national championship. I even think of people like Monica Sinano in the post. That was just so incredible. But just the way they changed women's sports in general, like Carver Hawkeye Arena is sold out every time they're at home. And I feel like I've never seen anything like that before. But just watching the way the state rallied behind them and how much it grew sports in general was so awesome. And like it spread everywhere. Like Iowa City is six hours away from me in Sioux City. It's the complete other side of Iowa. But, you know, I would be covering our my own local sports and my own high school gyms and would hear the little girls like, oh my gosh, we have to go watch Iowa tomorrow. Like it was a wildfire that spread and it was so cool to see. And then, you know, it's like, now you just look at where women's sports in general is like, even I think about like volleyball day in Nebraska and how much people rallied behind Nebraska volleyball and their run to the national championship this year. Like it's just so cool to see what sports has the power of doing. And Caitlin Clark was definitely very special for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We brought up Caitlin Clark a couple weeks ago when she achieved, it was 3000 points um, just a couple oh. of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. All right, kind of on. Too, mm-hmm, yeah, go ahead, Amber. Part, sorry. <laughs> I think the coolest part for me, too, is, you know, she's literally a superstar. Like, she could not give people the time of day. She's dropped 3,000 points. She could have that attitude, you know? But I literally just saw a photo. I'm sure you guys might have seen the other day, too. She gave her shoes and signed them and gave them to a fan at the game. Like, she will literally stay there until every single person has an autograph if they let her. I feel like half the time it's her own security that's like, all right, we got to go. It's been an hour, you know? But that's the type of person she is, and that's why I feel like it makes it even more special that she cares about the younger generation because they're going to be the future too one day. So I think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool seeing what Caitlin Clark has done, um, especially during her college career. All right, we're going to get into our Fast Five and kind of sticking with uh, college sports here. No, point number one, we had early National Signing Day this past Wednesday in college football. Uh, the best recruiting class came out of the University of Georgia, the reigning two-time national champions. And uh, even San Diego State uh, had some top signees that put the Aztecs atop 24-7 sports' Mountain West rankings. Yeah, uh, whole new coaching staff coming in, and I, I like what they've done so far. I think one of the, the biggest things that they've uh, been able to kind of do is reel in Danny O'Neill from Indianapolis, uh, potential quarterback of the future. Obviously, you never know what could happen between now and, and when he could play with, you know, the transfer portal and, and how things are nowadays. But I think putting themselves in a position where you have a quarterback with a lot of talent and uh, not only that, but uh, a transfer from Florida state also coming in uh, with a little bit of experience. It's big for this Aztec team. Um, And I'm excited to see what they can do. Amber, I know that you uh, have kind of been following 
the new coaching staff as well for this uh, Aztec football team. Yes. Yeah. Coach Sean Lewis. I'm, I'm just excited. I think we were all talking about this a little bit earlier before we jumped on too. I'm excited to see how he changes this culture because we all know San Diego state football has been very consistent in what they do play good defense, maybe not a flashy offense, but they get the job done pounding the ground. Right. But I feel like we're going to see a completely different San Diego state brand of football now, which is really exciting. Um, I listened to a podcast with him, with coach Lewis the other day, and you could just like feel his passion. And I feel like that's what excites me is like, if I'm watching a game, like I want to see that you care like that, you know? And I think college football is crazy these days with NIL and the transfer portal and so many things that are kind of grabbing these guys attention besides just playing football, you know? And he had a really good comment about that. Like, we got to grow what's good here. Like, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. We got to get guys to buy in and do it the right way here. And I was like, that's so important because you don't see a lot of that anymore in college football with all these other flashy things being thrown at them. And it was just very interesting to listen to him. So, yeah, you guys Mm. said it. Great players. Got an awesome guy. I was trying to find his name. The from St. John Bosco. That's a huge get to stay in California. Um, But I think this year is going to be key because there's so many talented football players in San Diego. He even said in that podcast that California is one of the best states of high school football players. We got to get them to stay here. And I feel like this year, depending on what they do and what we see from them, could get a lot of those guys to stay and want to play here, which would be so awesome. Yeah, it's always kind of been the goal, and I kind of see that really come into fruition with head coach Sean Lewis. All right, point number two here on the Fast Five, we get the Champions League. The uh, the round of 16 has been announced. Um, The first legs, FC Porto taking on Arsenal, Barcelona hosting Napoli, PSG hosting Real Sociedad, Inter um, spacing teams like Dortmund and Bayern and Man City are also playing. Kyle, what were your thoughts on uh, the uh, round of 16 uh, when they were announced last week? Yeah, it'll be a good competition here for Champions League, I I think, for this knockout round. Not not too many standout games per se here. Like, for example, you don't have a Real Madrid against Bayern or... uh, Arsenal against PSG. I mean, we have some really interesting matchups here, but I think ultimately um, we could see some surprises because there are a lot of uh, really sneaky teams here uh, facing off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a good amount of opportunity for some possible upsets here in this round of 16 that begins in a couple of months in February. All right, we move on now quickly. Uh, we go back uh, back to United States where uh, MLB proposed some rule changes for this coming season. We've got uh, updates to the pitch clock that's going to be reduced from 20 seconds to 18 seconds with runners on base. Mound visits going to be reduced from five games to four. Uh, we're going to have, as we stick with pitchers, a pitcher who sent out to warm up for an inning must face at least one hitter. 
And then in, in terms of base running, the runner's lane will be widened to include the dirt between the foul line and the infield grass. So four changes coming from the MLB uh, competition committee. I, I think, you know, the biggest one here probably is the pitch clock, right? And that that's what the, the, the concern is with the players association here. Um, kind of coming back and saying, you know, the changes are not necessary, um, especially after we've only had one season to really fully yeah. adapt the previous changes. Amber, what, what do you think of that response? Yeah, I would agree with that too. I feel like, like you said, it's almost too quick to see in just a year. Obviously, you know, you see the videos here and there where there's pitch clock violation and everyone absolutely loses their mind. <laughs> Still getting used to it, you know? Um, and those two seconds could be a lot, you know? Like, when all is said and done. So, yeah, I agree with them too, I guess. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's like, they're just throwing out change for the heck of it. But it's like, what is really the ulterior motive behind this? Like, what is the benefit, you know? But yeah. it's what it is, I guess. Yeah, how, how much quicker do you want your, your game to end? <laughs> and this right, is two seconds really going to be the biggest difference? Probably not, but... <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, too, kind of going off of that, among the mound visits going from 5-4, to four, I think that's probably kind of a bigger change, especially when teams are trying to figure out late in games, you know, you're getting the eighth inning, especially when you get a starting pitcher that only went four innings. You got to figure out how you're going to manage those mound visits, both with your pitching coach and your catcher at the same time. Um, and figure out how you're going to get through nine innings with now only four mound, mound visits compared to um, last year having five. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, we're going to keep you updated on those rule changes. If there's any others, we're about less than 100 days away from opening day. Um, but we move on from Major League Baseball. We're talking some NBA here. Golden State Warriors playing guard and three-point king Stephen Curry's streak of making at least one three-pointer game can, came to an end this past Sunday in a 118-114 Warriors victory in Portland. Curry went 0 for 8 from downtown and had a streak of 268 games, uh, straight games with the May three-point basket that began all the way on December 1st, 2018 in Detroit. Yeah, that's uh, five years and 16 days ago. So uh, pretty impressive there. Amber, what do you, what do you think of that, that number right yeah, there? Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw that. <laughs> I'm not always the biggest girly keeping up with the NBA just because I had so much other stuff going on. I've also been living out of my suitcase bouncing around the world right now, but that is crazy (laughs) because indeed he is the three point King. So yeah, (laughs) I'm kind of still shocked right now. Just seeing that. Yeah. Okay. He did follow that up with the, with that uh, game seal in three against the Celtics on the next game. So yeah, did a little ninety night um meme and uh in a one thirty two one twenty six overtime win. And now this Warriors team has won they won like three in a row or something like that now. Three, yeah. four in a row. They're starting to figure it out potentially. Yeah. hmm Yeah. Four in a row. Back to five hundred after a win last night against Washington. 
All right. With it being December, we're two days away from Christmas. We're right in the heart of college football bowl season. Right now, we had two games already conclude today here at 12.45 p.m. on the West Coast. Duke defeated Troy 17-10 in the Birmingham Bowl, and then Northern Illinois defeated Arkansas State 21-19 in the Camellia Bowl. A couple of Mountain West teams squaring off right now. Air Force taking on James Madison in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, and uh, Utah State taking on Georgia State in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. No score in both of those games right now. Yeah, I think uh, what we're going to see over the course of these next few days is, you know, the, the six, seven, eight win teams squaring off in their bowl games. Then we're going to get a couple more as well. I think that Armed Forces Bowl could be pretty good. Air Force had a pretty solid year until the very end, and they had a little bit of a collapse. But that's a pretty fun matchup, I think, there um, in that game today. Uh, but obviously uh, – College football playoff, we're all looking forward to that. Um, Amber, uh, what do you think of the matchup that we have? Uh, Alabama against Michigan and then also Texas against Washington. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking with my dad about this the other day. Obviously, there's so much drama with the playoff, Florida State, all of that. Um, I feel like this year it really could be anyone, you know, like for the first time in a while that you're just kind of like, I don't really know. It could be anyone's game where I feel like in the past, you know, there's kind of been like the one favorite Georgia has been so dominant. Alabama had been so dominant, you know? So I'm really excited. Um, I'm pulling stuff up here too. I honestly, though, I'm also really excited to see Georgia and Florida state play in the orange bowl. Mm. Obviously two programs that probably feel pretty rigged right now, but I don't know. Like you see so much right now of like, you know, people opting out because they want to go play in the NFL. And it's like, does this even matter type thing? Like you could bring up that whole conversation. Right. But it's like, to me, Florida State, this game should mean everything to them. Everyone should be there wanting to play because if they do win, knock off Georgia, a dominant powerhouse, and finish the season undefeated, it's a big slap in the face to the committee of like, look, we should have been here the whole time, you know? So it's like you still have everything to play for right now when I feel like a lot of people and a lot of programs, Georgia as well, are opting out. And it's like, no, what are we doing, (laughs) you know? But anyway – Besides that little side note, um, I think, you know, Michigan's riled up. They have a lot to play for, especially after the whole Harbaugh situation and how they rallied around that. Uh, I think Washington's really exciting as well, just not really being in that conversation before and going on quite around this year as well. Alabama sneaking in there at the end. So I'm excited. It's the best time of the year. (laughs) I will be glued to my TV that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right now, uh, Georgia are 14 and a half point favorites against Florida State in the Orange Bowl. That uh, is a week from today at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And then the two CFP semifinal games, Michigan, they're two point favorites right now, uh, over Alabama. And then Texas, they're four and a half point favorites against Washington, both those games on New Year's Day. January 1st. 
All right. So with that, we're going to, that concludes our fast five. We're going to move on now to the National Football League. And uh, last week did not get off to the best start for the Chargers fans as they lost 63-21 to last week in Las Vegas to the rival Raiders. And with that, the Chargers fired head coach Brandon Staley and uh, general manager Tom Telesco. The Chargers did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Amber, uh, that that was uh, kind of similar to the Broncos against the Dolphins earlier this season where you're just watching that game and just you're just ex- accepting your fate and it just kept happening. It was like you're just getting punched in the face over and over again. And uh, so not, not, not a good sight. And I, I'm glad that's that's what it took to, to fire those guys for the sake of the Chargers. Yeah, I literally got up and stopped watching. I think I went to like a Christmas party or something because I was yeah. like, we're done. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. That was very painful to watch. And I feel like it's just frustrating because the Chargers have good players and good pieces. And it's like, even last year, why can't this whole thing come together, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing for me on Thursday night was like just watching the sideline, absolutely no motivation. It looked like they just wanted to walk away, you know? And it's like, that's a problem. If even when you're down bad and even when the season's not going your way, the players don't even want to buy in for the program and the coat, whatever it might be, there was clearly something going wrong. And yeah, I think that was, that's what was needed. Um, Tom Telesco kind of surprised me because I feel like the focus was so much on Brandon Staley. But like you said, I feel like that's the right thing. Like, let's just clear house. Clearly, it's not been working. And let's just get a fresh start. Like, you got Justin Herbert, who's exciting. Let's get this thing turned around. Hopefully, he'll be back soon with his hand, too. But (laughs) next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took Easton Stick to start that game. Um, and to a game without your top receiver in Keenan Allen, who's also going to be out this week. All right, we're going to move on to fair or foul, but before we get two or three up, three down, uh, we were going to bring this up last week, but due to time constraints, we weren't able to. But one of the things that we saw last week in week 15 was Monday night double header. So do we like that instead of having a Thursday night game? I'll start this off here. Uh, I think for the sake of the fan, you're, you're going to want Thursday night football because in the case of the Monday night doubleheader that we had this, this year, I mean, we had two great finishes, but they were pretty much back to back. So it was like we were watching a mini version of red zone and that, that was pretty much it, which, which was great. I think it was great to have those games kind of follow up with, with the results that, that kind of happened, but. I think for the sake of the fan, you, you prefer Thursday night football. Um, if they are going to do a Monday night doubleheader, I think maybe space out the games a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a player, I mean, we've seen AJ Brown complain about Monday night games. And then obviously we know how uh, several players feel about Thursday night games. So I, I think if, if you're considering the player, you're probably going to prefer a Monday night game for the most part. But if you're a fan, probably Thursday night football, I would say. Amber, what do you think? 
Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I just didn't like how, like you were saying, how close they were or like literally one on top of the other. If it was spaced out, I feel like it would be a little bit better. Um, But yeah, me as a fan, like I want to watch football as much as possible. And even, I mean, like I thought most people have a more normal schedule, but like in TV, I worked Monday, so I had no idea what was going on in that Monday game. I'm checking the scores and the highlights after, right? But, like, Thursday was my night off and my one night to, like, sit down and enjoy a football game, you know? Because, like, I'm working on Sunday and the weekend as well. Obviously, not everyone's in my situation, but I feel like a lot of people probably are. Like, everyone has a wild schedule. But, yeah, I feel like for the sake of fans, they want football as much as possible where they can enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Every day. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more about just spacing out that Monday night doubleheader, pretty yeah. much. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. So kind of like something similar that we got in week two when you had uh, the Saints and the Panthers go on an hour before the Browns and the Steelers. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, those are fair foul thoughts to having a Monday night doubleheader. Versus having Thursday night football in terms of fans, in terms of players, in their perspective. Um, but now we're going to get to our three up, three down from week 15 of the NFL season. Um, Kyle, you want to kick things off? Yeah, I'm going to start. Point. Yeah, I'm going to start here with the Dolphins defense. I mean, just great showing against the Jets. They pitched a shutout. 30 nothing was the final score of that game. Granted, they were facing Trevor Simeon, but still credit to where it's due. They shut out an NFL team. I think that's a a huge accomplishment. And while doing so, they also put up uh, 23 fantasy points. So creating turnovers pretty much all afternoon long led to that. So I got the Dolphins deep. Mm -hmm. That's a good selection there. Amber, how do you want to kick off your three up? All right, I'm going to say the Rams winning five of their last six. Big one just now on Thursday Night Football over New Orleans. I think now they have that number six playoff seed. So that's pretty crazy. I I feel like, you know, a little bit of a rough start, but Matthew Stafford still can get it done. Puka Nakua was incredible in that Thursday night game. Shohei Otani in the crowd. (laughs) Maybe that's the secret. (laughs) But, yeah, I think it's exciting. And I think what's even cooler is I'm rooting for that they will play the Detroit Lions in the playoffs. Matthew mm-hmm. Stafford and his old team. I w- fun fact, I'm a big fan of his wife, Kelly Stafford's podcast, The Morning After. <laughs> but it's so funny. She, They've been talking about that a lot, too. She's like, we want it. Like, we'll bring the whole family. And I'm like, that's just kind of cool. But anyway. Mm-hmm. That's a great segue into my first point here. Give me the Lions here, the way they uh, defeated the Denver Broncos. Sam Laporta, three touchdowns. No tight end has more touchdowns than Sam Laporta, seven. And um, Sam Laporta is the third tight end in league history with 700-plus receiving yards and seven touchdowns in his rookie year. The only the other two are John Mackey and Mike Ditka, who are both Hall of Famers, so... Uh, give me the Lions. Also, Jimmy Gibbs having two touchdowns in the win, and uh, they got back on track with um, that victory. Laporta right, came Amber, from you... Iowa. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey, Amber, what do you want? Uh, who do you have for your second point? Okay. Next, I have Drew Locke leading yeah. the Seahawks to the win over the Philadelphia Eagles. I think any sports fan can say that that was hands down the best interview post game, maybe in the history of post game interviews. But just seeing the emotion, that was a big win. Eagles now have lost three straight, which is pretty crazy. Um, but obviously, the fact of the matter, Drew Locke hasn't really played, didn't even know if he was playing, literally even said he found out when he literally got to the field that day, like, hey, you're going in. And um, yeah, just a big win, final moments of the game for that touchdown to win. And shout out to Lisa Salters. That was a moment I will never forget as a sports fan for sure. Mm-hmm. Drew Locke uh, had that ball, uh, got the ball down uh, four plus points with under two minutes left, led, that, led his team on a game-winning 90-yard touchdown drive and capped it off with that 25-plus uh, yard touchdown pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba, the last NFL quarterback to do that. All three of those things at once uh, was Brett Favre, September twentieth, 1992, the last game he ever came off the bench. So interesting stat there. On it, Drew Locke. All right. Um, Colin and I, we got the same point here, basically, for our next options. But we both got James Cook of the Bills. Had over 200 total yards in their statement win against the Dallas Cowboys last week. And as pretty much Josh Allen said, it just let James Cook. And uh, you heard Josh Allen after the game said it felt like he was... Doing a group project didn't do much and uh, still got the A in that win. And Spills are starting to put together wins, which is what you want in December after things didn't look as great um, earlier in the year. Yeah, Brevin, glad I wasn't facing you in fantasy last week because, man, yeah, James Cook just had incredible volume in that game. 27 touches, two touchdowns. more than 200 uh, total yards on the ground. I mean, that's just the results you're going to get when you give your playmaker the football. And um, he's just such a big part of that offense. And even more important when you're playing in a game with uh, a little bit of uh, conditions to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Amber, kicking us off here with our final, your final point of three. Who you got? I'm saying the San Francisco 49ers. I feel like the Chargers being a little bit down. I'm kind of, kind of jumping on the Niner game. <laughs> They've been so fun to watch. Christian McCaffrey, incredible as usual. Um, he did wonders for me in fantasy this year. And I think the best yep. was when, I think it was Jason that texted and was like, I never want to have to deal with Christian McCaffrey running wild ever again. <laughs> but that just sums it up. He's been on a roll. Brock Purdy, so fun to watch, especially with the Iowa State connection for us in good old Siouxland. Um, what well, I think now he's probably the favorite to win the MVP. Would you guys say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's mm-hmm. in there. He's in the running for sure. Um, but Monday night, Christmas, gonna be a big one with the Ravens, both eleven and three. I'm really excited to see that one. Um, yeah. I think the Niners are in a good spot here heading into the postseason and. I hope they make a run here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that Niners-Ravens game in a little bit. Uh, for me, among my three, I have to conclude it. Give me the Buccaneers right now. 
Um, the way that they've been um, playing, they've gotten to having that division lead in the AFC South, coming off a big 34-20 win over the uh, Green Bay Packers. And you saw Chris Godwin get more involved in the passing game on top of um, your usual stalwarts in that offense in Mike Evans and um, Rashad White. Um, Chris Godwin, 10 catches, 155 yards. Uh, Mike Evans, 457 and a touchdown. Rashad White, 21 carries, 89 yards. Also had a receiving touchdown in that game. And so um, this is the time of the year where you want to be playing your best football. And um, especially for how much weaker that NFC South is, that that makes it that much more important of winning the division. Yeah, very true. For my last uh, three-up point here, uh, I'm going to take Terry McLaurin here. Um, Against the Dolphins two weeks ago, zero catches, just completely shut out by that Dolphins defense I touched on earlier. But against the Rams uh, last week, he had six catches, 141 yards, a touchdown in that game as well. I mean, that's just the ultimate bounce-back game that you can have if you're a stud receiver like Kerry McLaurin. So good to see him uh, back with a 100-yard game, uh, his first of the season, and that's pretty hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is going to wrap up our three down. Let's get to our three down here. Kyle, how do you want to kick off um, your three down? Yeah, I'm going to start off with Desmond Ritter here, uh, benched once again, I believe, here for the Atlanta Falcons. and. Yeah, it's just a tough offense to watch. Uh, 152 yards last game. He threw a touchdown and an interception. Wasn't a good interception at all, if you haven't seen it. Um, but uh, you're going to have to see how um, Taylor Heineke is going to perform here for this Falcons team uh, as they now turn back to him once again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of going on that same note, I've got the Falcons here in that game against the Panthers. You saw the Panthers play spoiler in that game with the Falcons being in the running atop that division and also in the wild card as well. Um, nine to seven was the final of that game. It felt like a high scoring baseball game. <laughs> and uh, that one can obviously kind of a whole f- 180 compared to that Thursday night game as we talked about, but, um, there was a touchdown. It was Cordell Patterson. It was a two-yard touchdown pass from Desmond Witter. And then, but it was Eddie Pinero with a game-winning kick for the Carolina Panthers in a game that where you could go to the game for two quarters. <laughs> 50 cents. Not good. Uh-huh. All right, Amber, how do you want to kick off your three down? I'm kicking it off with the Chargers. Yeah. Worst loss of the season, probably, but uh, and then just all the chaos that came after it. Um, but I guess when we're recording this tonight, will be the first look at now how do we respond? You know, interim head coach Gibbs Smith, we'll see what he does, but yeah. obviously a tough test with the Bills coming to town. So we'll Thanks. see, but I don't think it can get any worse than that <laughs> against. Yep. The Raiders, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that for my second point here for my three down, and I'm going to say the Chargers as well. Um, 
we already talked about it and yeah <laughs> that's all i have to say <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah all right my second point give me the chicago bears nearly pulling off a hail mary um against cleveland last week but ball was tipped and went right into the hands of Darnell mooney but kicked it up right into a browns defender and <laughs> being that close to win as time expired, but Kevin Stefanski and the Browns getting it done here um, over the Bears. It was right past by Justin Fields. He saw it to Darnell Mooney right in the hands. You can you could see this. You there was the camera stopped on when Darnell Mooney had the ball in his hands, but could not control it and uh, did not pull out the win there. 20 to seventeen loss uh, for Chicago. Literally every team in the AFC was rooting for him to catch that ball. And he yeah. Takes, <laughs> he takes it into the air. Oh, man. I don't know what's worse, that or the Jets' fail Mary on Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Amber, how do you want to go here with uh, your next point among your three out? I'm going to say the poor Minnesota Vikings falling once again, continuing, or I feel like for them, every time it's like in the final two minutes of the game, kind of feels like the Chargers, to be honest. (laughs) But this one, a 27 to 24 overtime loss to the Bengals. Um, I feel like obviously a big one in this one was them benching Josh Dobbs and going with Nick Mullins. I feel like they just don't really have an answer and it's showing <laughs> but it's been a little rough for them the past couple weeks mm-hmm. yeah have lost three in a row or no have lost two of three defeated the Raiders three nothing two weeks ago and hey. lost to the Chicago <laughs> Bears who we just talked about 12 to 10 on Monday Night Football okay. I actually lost three of four if you include that Broncos lost two or the Vikings lost to the Broncos um it's so crazy how things just so quickly turn around year after year like last year they were phenomenal like in the playoffs you know like and then here we are like what is the identity of this team you know Mm -hmm. it's the nfl for you Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah now they take on the lions they need another minneapolis miracles what we saw last year pulling off the largest comeback in nfl history this time last year against Indianapolis, but yeah, we'll see what happens there. All right, her cousins. Yeah, without her cousins as well. No Dalvin Cook. In addition to that, all right, Kyle, how do you want to? Where do you want to go next here among your three down? Yeah, for my last point, I'm gonna go with Derrick Henry. Ten yards on twenty touches. That's half a yard a touch. Um, <laughs> this past weekend. And uh, it, it was just out of the ordinary, considering, you know, who they were facing off against, who's, which was the Texans. And in uh, his previous five games against Houston, he averaged more than 200 yards and 10 touchdowns. So just a complete kind of uh, switch flip here by that Houston Texans defense, what they've been able to do over the course of the season building that defense among D'Amico Ryans. 
And uh, going to be tough for them this week uh, because they don't have C.J. Stroud again. But that defense can step up. I mean, they're going to keep them in ball games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with the Tennessee Titans. Amber, how do you want to conclude uh, your three down? Okay, I know this was now, I guess this was still last week. I'm going with the Jets being shut out. Um, again, <laughs> pain all over the place. But uh, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, that'll be interesting against the Commanders, two teams who I feel like just want this year to be over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. Again, I feel like just, you know, Zach Wilson's been out. They have to go with Trevor Simeon, Aaron Rodgers, and that whole thing. I think... Um, I think it was this past week, um, the video of everyone just like arguing on the sidelines, even when Aaron Rodgers was there, it's kind of just like, again, what is going on in this place? But yeah, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good selection there. You can include your three down for me and to conclude our entire three down, give me a division leader who's lost three in a row and the Jacksonville Jaguars now three teams tied for that top spot in the AFC South. Jacksonville obviously losing to teams like Baltimore when you lose to Cleveland as well without or no with Trevor Lawrence there, but um and then losing to the Bengals where Trevor Lawrence got um injured in that game, which we thought was a lot worse than just a high ankle sprain. Um Yeah, it's just been Tough times right now um, for this Jags team. They get the Bucks on Sunday, or actually, they get the Bucks tomorrow in a big um, in a big kind of playoff matchup here with um, against the Buccaneers. So, yeah, Jags got to turn things around if they want to control where they're at in that top spot of the AFC South. All right, we're going to get to our top three three games on the Week 16 slate. Kick things off with the lucky Cleveland Browns. They're traveling to Houston. Take, take on the Texans. That game is Sunday at 10 a.m. Kyle, how do you feel about that game? Yeah, I got the Browns in this game. Despite uh, their uh, man off the street, Joe Flacco coming in. He's done pretty well, and the Texans are without C.J. Stroud. So I think that that's enough reason there to give the Browns the advantage here. Amber, who you got? We go with the Browns as well. Like the Texans have been struggling a little bit. But, yeah, Browns are just rolling. Joe Flacco, man. (laughs) (laughs) Never know. Never say never. (laughs) Delete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to make it a Cleveland Browns sweep here. I don't think Davis Mills can do enough compared to what Joe Flacco has done. Um, So, we all have got the Browns winning. All right, next game features a couple of 10-win teams. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys traveling to Miami take on the Dolphins here. A couple of teams that, that have the opportunity to get a big win against a team over 500 here. Amber, who do you got in this one? Uh, I'm just going to go on a whim and say the Cowboys. 
feel like this is a good matchup. It could go either way, but I like Dak. I like the Cowboys. I like what they've been doing. So we'll go with them. Mm-hmm. Kyle, who do you got here between the Cowboys and the Dolphins? Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of points in this game when you consider how these offenses operate. And Tyreek Hill is going to – it seems like he's going to play despite his ankle injury. And so I feel like every time Tyreek Hill plays, he, he just goes crazy for like 150 and a touchdown. So I think that's the expectation heading into tomorrow. And I'll take the Dolphins just because they're at home, but it'll be a great game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one here has kind of been like Amber going back and forth. I think I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I think I think you can trust a little bit more in Jack Prescott over to a Tagovailoa, and I think the def- the Cowboys defense has an edge here over the Dolphins D. It's close, though, but with no Trayvon Diggs. But I think I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I think Dak gets back in this MVP conversation after last week's blunder in Buffalo. Uh, losing 31-10, to th- 31-10. so I'm going to take the Cowboys here. And our final game that we're going to get to, it's going to conclude the three-game slate on on a Monday, which is Christmas Day. An 11-win Ravens team going to Santa Clara to take on an 11-win Niners team. The top two teams in each conference facing off. Kyle, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, this is going to be a great game. Amber touched on it earlier, and I have a feeling she's going to take the Niners here, and I'm going to tailor on that. Let's go Niners. I think the way that their offense has been operating, it's so efficient, and they don't turn it over. And if they can follow that formula, just don't turn the ball over. I think they'll be okay. I mean, this this Ravens defense is tough. I mean, they're, they're a big reason why. They they stick around each and every year in, in that double digit win category, but Niners I think are built different. Every you got the Niners for sure. I think it's a big game. Good teams, like you said. I feel like being at home could play a big factor in this too. Niner faithful. Um, but yeah, I just, I like the Niners offense. I like what they're doing. They're absolutely on a roll right now. I was trying to look up the last time they lost. They've won their last five. I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. I don't want to go up against them. So I'm going with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Niners as well here. And I think this is partially because of the loss of Keaton Mitchell among that Ravens running back room um, from what we saw last week. Uh, yeah, we know that Gus Edwards can um, handle those duties, but I feel like Christian McCaffrey is just too overpowered. Uh, as you talked about Christian McCaffrey um, being in the MVP conversation on top of everybody else, as long as there's a spy on defense for Lamar Jackson, this Niners team uh, controls home turf and um, pulls out the win. All right. Uh, let's move on to some fantasy here uh, briefly uh, as we get into now the playoffs. We had round one of the playoffs last week. Before we get to that, though, I do want to ask you, Amber, what did you think of your uh, fantasy football season? 
<laughs> I always end up in this spot. I like get to the first round and then I just lose it, but it's fine. <laughs> um, I played in three leagues this year. And uh, honestly, I feel like most of them did pretty good, but I got to the point where I just like would forget. <laughs> I just things got busy, especially in my sports reporter life as, you know, state football, all these things were happening. Um, but I feel like given all of that and given how much I just like went by on a whim sometimes, I'm very proud of my performance this season. Um, yeah. You know oh what? God, I need to. I don't even know what my roster was in the in our league. <laughs> so many on my mind. Okay, let's yeah, see. I mean, you, Best you, in the Midwest. Here we go. Oh, I had um some quarterback trouble with Justin Herbert going on the IR, RIP. Um, had to call Big Russell Wilson. I think you would appreciate that. <laughs> um, All right, unlimited. See. Jake Elliott for the Eagles was holding it down in that kicker spot. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had some good wide receivers this year, um, but that was a struggle because some would go off, so I'd put them in and, like, bench other guys, and then they would go off, and the guys I put in didn't go off. You know how yeah. that goes. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would say my MVP was Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Probably one of the best picks in that first round, too, if you're looking back on I it. I also had him in another league, so I feel like that's why I get confused. I'm like, okay, who is where? <laughs> yeah, 41. Real faithful. 41 points last week. And, uh, yeah, the, like, like you said, unfortunately, out after round one of the playoffs, you only lost by eight. Like, that. that's the worst when, when, you're, when you're. I know, the- and I feel like someone was on my bench that went off. Yeah, Jacoby Myers, Kenneth Walker. Like, what was I doing? (laughs) Brandon IU just underperforming. T. Higgins. I literally had three people on my bench. 15 points, 20 points, and 22 points. Unlucky. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's how it goes. Love fantasy football. That's fantasy. (laughs) Um... Speaking of, I had a bye, so it, I, I'm glad I did because my team didn't put up any points last week. So I'm glad I was in that position to where didn't really have to stress out that much. But uh, Brevin was playing. He got 36 PPR points from James Cook. We talked about him earlier, what he did. Um, and Brevin, you took down Andrew Finley, uh, 138 to 67. And uh, Finley had come into it as a three seed. Seven straight wins, and you knock them out. And uh, so now, as we enter week 16 of the NFL season, like we talked about, it's round two of the playoffs, so the semifinals. And uh, this week, it's me against Brevin. We, we've yeah. done it. The, ult- the ultimate down-the-line showdown here for uh, the playoffs. Once again, <laughs> trying to play upset here and uh, pull off this win. Yeah. So uh, I, I beat Brevin earlier here uh, this season, in the regular season, that is. Both times. 94. That was all the way back in week one. Um, and then also 146 to 111 back in week 10. So history points to me, but history is not a thing in fantasy football. So no. 
Yeah, I, I'm excited for it, Bremen. It's going to be a good one. We got another uh, semifinal matchup. Um, number four seed, Jason Freund. We talked about how he took down Amber last week. Well, he's now facing the one seed in Daniel Guerrero. DG has an early 16.4 point lead after Thursday Night Football as well. And Brevin, you have a lead over me, but uh, it's point two to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Hopefully that is the lead after Monday, but we'll see. <laughs> Taysom Hill, two tenths of a point. Thought he was going to get more involved in that Saints offense, but hasn't done much as the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a rough start, but obviously you could have anyone step up for you today. We got games starting here in ten minutes, actually. Yep. And also tomorrow, you mentioned Monday games all weekend. Gotta love it here from the NFL for this weekend. But yeah, b- big fantasy weekend here for a lot of people um, as they continue their playoffs. We'll let you know how uh, Brevin and I do as we continue next week and. Uh, for our fantasy coverage, and yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one, Brevin, for sure. But we're gonna take a, a quick break here. But uh, we know that uh, Amber has to leave us. But thank you so much, Amber, for for hopping on here for this episode of Down the Line. Um, this is her fourth time coming here on Down the Line. In fact, the last time that she was on was episode ninety four. That was actually earlier this year, believe it or not, at the end of March, March 29th. We we did a little bit of research. We found last time Amber was on here. So her, her fourth time being on the show, we really appreciate it, Amber. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, sharing a little bit about uh, your new job, everything that's going on in your life, and also your sports takes. Love hearing everything that you have to say, um, especially about the Chargers. I feel like uh, there's always some, uh, something to say when it comes to that but uh any last words before we let you go no thank you guys always so much fun always enjoy it always love talking sports with you guys and um yeah thanks for bringing me on after the chargers worst debut of the season (laughs) (laughs) always a good time (laughs) but i feel like this was very much needed. So hopefully we'll have good Chargers news to talk about from here on out. <laughs> you know what? No better way to commemorate that moment than to be on down the line to talk about it. And you know what? Years down the road when, when Justin Herbert has three or four Super Bowl rings, you can come back and listen to this episode. Be like, I had, I had yes. to go through that, that loss to, to make it this far. <laughs> we'll refer back to the glory days. <laughs> All right, thanks again, Amber. We'll be back right after this. everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 132. I'm Brown Hunter, joined alongside by Kyle Bitts. We just had Amber Salas join us, a long time a colleague of ours at the Daily Aztec, now working for Full Sports, um, located in Austin, Texas. Uh, we had Amber join our first half. 
um, talking about her experience, um, her recent experience working in Iowa over the last couple of years. Now, um, just starting up with sports, we talked some NFL, some Steph Curry, um, some Champions League with Group 16 being announced last week, and we obviously got into some fantasy football, Colin A. facing off in the fantasy semis. In our league right now, I've got a two-tenths of a lead, two-tenths of a point of a lead right now with Taysom Hill guarding all those points, so we'll see how that matchup plays out. We'll definitely go over it next week as one of us will uh, be in the championship matchup. But right now, we're going to move on to some baseball, and news came out last week Friday that Texas starting pitcher Max Scherzer will be out until... Uh, the summer of next year after after undergoing back surgery to repair a herniated disc on uh, last week Thursday. Yeah, uh, this is tough news to hear, especially when you look at Max Scherzer, the point that he's at in his career, getting up there in age, and surely it's going to take quite some time to heal. I mean, a herniated disc is uh, never something easy to deal with. I had one when I was a senior in high school, and I feel like I healed pretty quickly just because I was young. But, I mean, this man is, uh, what, close to 40 years old at this point? Yeah. He is uh, going to need quite some time to come back from that because it's definitely going to affect him. But ho- hopefully he does come back strong and we're able to see him continue to perform at a high level because um, it, it would just be nice to see what he has left in him in his career. Mm-hmm. Next year is going to be uh, Max Scherzer's age 39 season. Mm. All right. Um, last week, Saturday, was pretty much the final set of awards that were announced. Um, the 2023 All-MLB team was announced, as well as the 2023 American League and National League Hank Aaron Award winners. Um, the National League receiving the Hank Aaron Award was Ronald Acuna Jr. And in the American League, it was Shohei Otani. Yeah, no surprise here, the MVPs. And uh, great to see them get honored here once again. Like you said, the last awards of the season. We've been covering it here throughout the fall. Um, now that we are in winter, um, cool to see how it all has come together. And, and now uh, all these players are just going to be honored one last time as now we are uh, switching things into full gear for 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so with the Otani and Acuna highlight, the All-MLB first team, Shohei Otani getting it both for the designated hitter spot and the starting pitching spot. The other four starting pitchers to garner all first team honors include Garrett Cole of the Yankees, Zach Gallen of the D-backs, Blake Snell, Spencer, and... And Spencer Strider. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a really solid list of pitchers, like you mentioned. I think all these guys really stepped up this year. You saw Blake Snell have a career season last year with the Padres. Um, Shohei Otani, obviously, he said leading that pack, being the MVP. Garrett Cole pitching at a high level. Um, You can talk on and on about how great these pitchers are. Um, Great to see them get recognized here for the first team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two relievers that were first team, Josh Hader and Felix Bautista, uh, as the two relievers. 
Um, the infield shapes up out of the Rutschman at catcher for first team honors. That first team infield, Freddie Freeman at first base, Marcus Semien at second base, Austin Riley at third base, Corey Seager at shortstop. And then in the outfield, you get Corbin Carroll, Acuna, like you mentioned, and Mookie Betts. Yep, all deserving to be as a part of uh, this lineup here in the first team. I mean, all these players has had outstanding seasons. Good to see uh, a couple Rangers here get uh, represented, obviously, with Simeon and Seager, world champs there. A um, couple Dodgers players as well, like you mentioned. Um, even the Diamondbacks getting a little bit of love there with Corbin Carroll. Definitely deserves to be on that list. And uh, um, great to see a, a good mix of veterans and, and young players as a part of this first team. Mm-hmm. There were more Rangers among the all MLB second team, including Nathan Eovaldi and Jordan Montgomery among the all MLB second team starting rotation alongside Kyle Bradish of the Baltimore Orioles and Kevin Gosman and Sonny Gray. Um, the two relievers among the all second team, Emmanuel Classe and Josh Hader's former teammate in Milwaukee, Devin Williams. Uh, among the hitters, Jordan Alvarez was uh, the, uh, uh, received the DH honors among the second team. Kyle Tucker was part of the outfield with Adolis Garcia and Aaron Judge. So there's your other Texas Ranger alongside another Texas Ranger in the infield with Jonah Heim behind the plate. Um, and then pretty much the defenders in the infield. Matt Olson at first base, Ozzy Alves at second base, Jose, Jose Ramirez at third base, and Francisco Lindor at shortstop. Yeah, you got the Braves on the right side of the infield there, looking pretty nice with Matt Olson and Ozzy Alvey showing their consistency. Um, a lot of good names here on the second team as well. I mean, if you told me these guys were on an all MLB team, and, and if you said, you know, uh, it was a first team, I I could believe you. I mean, I mean, these guys have so much talent, put together some great seasons here. Um and great to see more Rangers on here. Like you said, I, I think that recognition is huge, even if they don't make it all on the first team. I mean, this is a team with such a bright future, and they have a bunch of studs on their team showing what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these this all-MLB team, both first team and second team, along with the Hank Aaron Award uh, winners and Acuna and Otani were announced um, during the all-MLB show. Um, last weekend at the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas. All right. Uh, we're going to get into some transactions that went down over last week. Obviously, some big ones. Kick things off uh, last week, Thursday the 14th, when uh, the uh, the Tigers signed Jack Flaherty on a one-year deal worth $14 million. Yeah, I actually didn't even hear about this deal until today, and this is a, a a good deal here by the Tigers. I mean, this is a guy with a lot of potential, and he's really shown his stuff over the course of his career so far. He's definitely going to help bolster that rotation as they try to continue to push back and, and uh, attempt to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this comes after um, signed Shelby Miller yesterday, um, Andrew Chafin as well. Um, you know, so starting to put together that, um, rotation in that bullpen together, um, in Detroit. 
Um, we had one of the biggest trades go down in the offseason to date. Um, the Dodgers, they acquired Tyler Glasnow and Manny Margot from the Tampa Bay Rays for starting pitcher Ryan Pepio and number 13 outfield prospect Johnny DeLuca. And it eventually turned into that trade being completed on Friday with the Dodgers also extending Glasnow to a five-year $135 million deal. Yeah, here we go once again, Brevin. It's happening. Dodgers are, are stacked. And Tyler Glasnow is just going to be a huge part of this rotation. Like you said, we all know what he, he can do. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. They're, they're back in, in, in major contention now, uh, especially uh, now that they've addressed their rotation um, among some uh, issues that they're going to have next season, obviously no Shohei Otani. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No Shohei Otani in, um, among that rotation, but I think it's just like we talked about last week when you sign Otani. I think the biggest wild card to this whole rotation is going to be Walker Buehler, like we talked about last week, returning uh, from Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. All right. Also a team making moves in adding players, the Kansas City Royals. Um, after signing Seth Lugo, like we talked about last week, they signed both outfielder Hunter Renfro to a one-year $5.5 million deal and starting pitcher Michael Waka, a two-year deal for $32 million with an opt-out after next season. That's the same deal that he got in San Diego. Yeah, I like this deal here for the the Royals, uh, both of them, in fact. Um Keeps them, you know, uh, competitive. And I think, you know, when, when you add these guys for uh, that amount, I mean, Hunter Renfro, that, that's a solid offer considering where he's at in his career, you know, uh, that he could still produce at a high level. And Michael Walker, I mean, um, with San Diego, he, he looked great. And so hopefully he's able to continue that in Kansas City and uh, they're able to rack up some more wins this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're starting to see the competition starts rise among the AL Central, among the uh, acquisitions with Jack Flaherty, and now with uh, what the Royals have done in addition to what we'll probably see with Cleveland and Minnesota, um, you know, especially with Cleveland as they adjust to Stephen Vogt is their, their new manager um, in Cleveland. All right, now on Sunday of last week, Reports came out that Arizona is reuniting with outfielder Lourdes Curiel Jr. on a three-year deal with $42 million with part of that trade that sent, uh, that came with Dalton Varsho, or that sent Dalton Varsho to Toronto, uh, last year. Yeah. Um, this is, this is huge for the Diamond, Diamondbacks. I mean, Lourdes Curiel, I mean, we, we saw what he did over the course of last season. A huge part of that lineup, even in the outfield, make, making tons of plays, and he gets rewarded uh, as a result of their playoff push. Um, we we saw him on display on the national stage, and and he showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tuesday of this past week, the Pirates reports came out that the Pirates are re-signing outfielder Andrew McCutcheon on a one-year deal, and that deal became official on Wednesday. Yeah, great to see him stick around, uh, earn another contract in Pittsburgh. We don't know if this is going to be his last season. It very well could be. But uh, 
it's going to be fun to see him uh, be a part of this lineup once again. Uh, a big part of the leadership in that clubhouse is going to fall on his shoulders. And he, he's still an exciting player despite uh, his age and where he's at. And uh, Pirates fans love him. I mean, uh, everyone's happy because of this deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andrew McCutcheon, who won an MVP in Pittsburgh in 2013. When I think the biggest goal that he's got, whether it's early on, but it's going to be heading that 300th home run um, here in 2024. So sitting on 299 right now, so I don't think he wanted to end his career one shy of 300. So you see Andrew McCutcheon signing with Pittsburgh, and then on Wednesday, uh, there was another trade that went down. Uh, the Mets acquired right-handed pitcher Adrian Hauser and outfielder Tyrone Taylor from Milwaukee for um, minor league right-handed pitcher Coleman Crow, who's a top 30 prospect in the Mets organization. Yeah, this is a uh, pretty interesting deal here. I mean, how, how big is this going to be for the Mets here? I mean, you mentioned... Crow being top 30 in that organization. I mean, um, who, who ultimately wins this deal? Yeah, I think, too, when it comes into this, you think about where the Brewers are at. You know, you see them. Um, I think it's just shedding money, you know, where they can and being a little cheaper in some places, you know, and it adds some depth to the Mets among their pitching rotation, you know, behind Kode Senga and the top of that rotation, as well as add some outfield depth to what they have there, um, you know, especially at center field. So, um, you know, this is a good trade to add some depth. It gets some uh, depth to the farm system for the Brewers as well. Um, I think Colin Coe slid into the number 25 spot of the Brewers' top 30 prospects. So um, both these teams adding depth in their own ways. Um, and then there were also reports on Wednesday that the Padres were close to signing left-handed relief pitcher Yuki Matsui from the Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan um, on a four-year, $21 million deal. This um, this deal is not yet official. It's pending a physical. So going through the medicals process right now, Matsui became the fastest uh, closer in MPB history to reach 200 saves. Yeah, this is a big deal here for the Padres, uh, especially when you have that connection uh, to you, Darvish, the influence that he has in San Diego, um, reaching all the way over to Matsui, coming in from the NPB. And and this is a great deal for the Padres, especially when uh, you don't necessarily know uh, where Josh Hader is going to end up. So um, to have some sort of stability on the back end, of your bullpen, no matter what role Matsui's going to have, I think is important for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously this comes most likely what's going to be a cheaper option um, compared to Josh Hader, who's going to want somewhere around 15 to $20 million. You get, you know, the Padres are lying to get Matsui for something around $5.5 million a year. So, um, you know, it's a cheaper option for the Padres, and obviously we see them shedding some money, uh, obviously, with the Juan Soto deal and, um, you know, training away uh, Matt Carpenter and Ray Kerr to the Braves this past week as well. So, um, you know, you're seeing that come into play 
um, with this kind of money ball type mentality here um, from AJ Preller. All right, then we go to Thursday. Um, probably the second biggest news of the offseason so far. One of the biggest players among the free agent market. Uh, starting pitcher Yoshinobu Yamamoto um, has decided to choose to sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a 12-year, $325 million deal that has a couple of opt-outs after, I think, years six and eight of the deal. And unlike Shohei Otani, there is no deferred money uh, with this uh, contract. Yep, here we go once again with the Los Angeles Dodgers just making a huge splash for another free agent. And like I said earlier, it continues. And uh, a lot of people are not happy about this deal. And uh, a lot of people uh, by that, I mean, uh, you know, not Dodgers fans. If you're a Dodgers fan, I mean, you got your whole future in front of you. Um, But... Yeah, this is this is a massive deal. He gets a bunch of money, I think, smart on his end to include those opt outs. Um, but he he is set up for success here for the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, the Dodgers have now spent over a billion dollars in uh, signings with Otani, with Glasnow, and now with Yamamoto. Let's see what happens next. Um, other teams that were in play for Yoshinobu. Yamamoto included the Giants. Um, and then some of the teams that had offers on Yamamoto included uh the Mets who had three twenty five on the table, and then the Yankees they had three hundred million on the table with Toronto, Chicago, and Philadelphia also in the mix for both of uh for Yamamoto as well. Yeah, so essentially chose the Dodgers over the Mets and uh it just goes to show what a Shohei Otani influence can have as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty much the next big player on the free market now, I think Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger among pitcher and hitter. So we'll see what happens if those deals get done before New Year's next week. If not, how much they'll trickle into January before we start talking about uh, GMs and arbitration deadlines early in 2024. Um, you know, just in a few weeks. All right, we're going to move on to trivia. I am the contestant, so I'll let Kyle take it away here. Yeah, we are going to uh, do today's Immaculate Grid. All right, let's see today. I have not seen today's one yet. Yeah. So uh, have... Oh, here we go. So we have on the top line from left to right, we have Hall of Famer. A 30-plus stolen base season, and then a 100-plus RBI season. And then on on the uh, left side here, from top to bottom, we have the St. Louis Cardinals, the New York Mets, and then the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm going to kick things off because I feel like I'm going to forget these names as we go along, but... We're going to go Cincinnati, 30, 30 stolen base season. We'll go Billy Hamilton here. Billy Hamilton is a great guess here. Yeah, and there you go. He is on that 25%. Kay. People have answered Billy Hamilton. Mets, 30 stolen base season. 
We'll just go with a guy who at 30-30 this year. We'll go Francisco Lindor. Frankie Lindor. Yeah. yeah 14%. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to come back to that Cardinals 30 stolen base season. Uh, let's knock out some of these 100 RBI seasons. Um, let's go Cardinals. We'll go with the uh, most recent Cardinals MVP. We'll go Paul Goldschmidt here. Paul Goldschmidt. Nine percent, yes. Mm-hmm. There you go. Three. Um, let's see the Mets. I want to go here for the Mets. We'll go with the with uh, we'll go Pete Alonso here for Mets. There you go. Fair enough. Pete Alonso here for the twenty five percent. Now the Reds four for four. Yeah, yep. Now the Reds. Mm. We'll go with the Reds here. I think he had. 100 RBIs. Hmm. No, I'll go with something more for sure. We'll go Joey Votto. That would have been my guess as well. Joey Votto, 32%. Yep, there you go. I I was thinking Griffey. Oh. I was like, I don't know if he hit 100 RBIs. Right. (laughs) All right, let's knock out some of these Hall of Famers. All right. Uh, Reds, Reds Hall of Famer. The bottom... We'll go Barry Larkin here. Barry Larkin. That is a great pick there, 9%. All right. Mets Hall of Famer. Um, We'll go with Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver. 33%. Mm -hmm. Um, Cardinals Hall of Famer. What would I go with here? There's two that I have in mind, or actually, there's three that I have in mind, which we don't want to go with based on the rarity: Ozzy Smith, Bob Gibson, or Stan Musial. I'll go Ozzy Smith here. Ozzy Smith, eleven yeah. percent. Yep. Um, All right, last <laughs> guess here, and that is a Cardinals thirty yeah. stolen stolen base season. Oh god, this one's going to be a shot in the dark here because this is the one I. Cardinals aren't much of a running team. Um, he might have stolen thirty bit. Uh, I'm gonna go Colson Wong here. All right, I like that guess. Colton Wong. Did he? Oh no, he didn't. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. I like that guess. That must have been the Aussie Smith one then. Oh, Tommy Edmond, yeah. Um, Tommy Edmond. Yeah. Yes, Edgar Renteria. Uh, yeah. Yeah, see, there's Ozzy Smith, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Lou Brock was, a, oh gosh. Lou Brock as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Huh. It's okay, I'll take eight of nine. Yeah, that that's pretty good. That's solid. Better than I would have done for sure. I think Colton Wong in a season might have had uh let me pull Colton Wong. Colton Wong stats. Right. Oh he had twenty four and twenty. Oh. Came close. Okay. That's a good guess. Uh huh. All right, eight out of nine. 
Vince Coleman being the top answer in that selection. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, another option, I think, for 100 RBI season for the Reds might have been Adam Dunn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, Adam Dunn was another option. Nick Castellanos. Yep. Eugenio Suarez. Mm -hmm. Adam Duvall. Jay Bruce. Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips. And Griffey Jr. Eric Davis, Johnny Bench, George. Oh, Dave Parker. Okay. Yeah, Frank Robinson. Yeah. Interesting. Uh huh. My guess here probably would have been David Wright for the Mets 100 plus RBIs. Mm hmm. Carlos Beltran as well. Not too many names on here, uh, Revan. Still strawberries on this list. Eddie Murray, the Hall of Famer. Not too many names on here. No, not too many. many. Robin Ventura, yeah. Who else was probably... Matt Holliday for the Cardinals, 100 plus RBI. Yeah, Matt Holliday as well. Aaron Mm -hmm. Obviously, Ryan Ludwig. Yep. <laughs> uh, One of the worst trades in Padre history. <laughs> Jim Edmonds, Scott Rowland, Mark McGuire, Fernando Tati, senior. Yep, senior. <laughs> same year that he had two grand slams in a game. In the same inning. Joe Torrey. Mm-hmm. San Musial, like you said, could have been an option here as well. Yeah. Naughty Mize, uh huh. Roger Hornsbury, Roger Hornsby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of good names on here. Uh huh. Well, 15,129 to get eight out of nine. Pretty good. Pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I, I probably would have got like six or seven. Yeah. Probably six. I felt like I was gonna forget Billy Hamilton, so I was like, "Let me just get that out of the way." Yeah, that was, that was a good one. I I actually want to see your other options here. Uh, yeah. Um, if not Billy Hamilton, like you said, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy Edmund, like you said, mm-hmm. all those other options. Ozzy Smith could have been stolen. Yeah. Um, Mets here for stolen base. Mets. Who else is there? Young, Eric Young Jr. Oh yeah, you are. <laughs> Angel Pagan. Jose Reyes as well. Oh, yeah. David Wright, even. Ricky Henderson. Mm-hmm. This woman here as well. Daryl Strawberry, too. Ellie De La Cruz here for the Reds. Oh, yeah, he did have more than 35. That's right. Yeah, I I, I definitely wouldn't have said Ellie De La Cruz. And true Stubbs. Wow. That's a name. Aaron Boone. Mm-hmm. Mike Cameron. Oh, here you go. Yeah, Barry Larkin. Deion Sanders. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bip Roberts. And Griffey. Yeah. That's senior, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. That I figured. Uh-huh. 
Oh, we're going way back in time here. Yep. Back to the 1880s. Bid McPhee. Yep. Ollie Beard. Mm-hmm. Bug Holiday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's your immaculate grid for the day. Yes. Gentlemen. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I could have played that Ozzie Smith in the third. You stole the Mason and then put Stan Musial or um, Bob Gibson in the Hall of Fame. But, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next week, we're gonna do we're gonna go over our Hall of Fame ballot. We did not forget about that. So, uh, just like the Baseball Writers Association of America, we're uh next week, the thirty first of the deadline, to submit their ten max player ballot for the Hall of Fame. So we'll go over that next week. We'll talk week seventeen of the NFL season. We'll figure out. Who's in next week's fantasy football championship between Kyle and I? Um, we'll talk more baseball if there's any news um, that's available. Any uh, big signings that get unveiled post-Christmas. Um, yeah, all the NBA that's going on. You get your Christmas Day games mixed in with NFL as well. Raiders and Chiefs oh. on Monday. Um, that kicks off the afternoon. Um, Raiders, Chiefs, we talked about Ravens and Niners, and then that middle game, um, who plays that middle game on Monday night? It is Giants and Eagles, Hmm. uh, that middle game, as the Steelers have a 14-0 lead on the Bengals as we currently speak. And on the three-yard line right now. Mm-hmm. Looking to make it 21-0. Calvin Austin the third with a seven-yard rushing touchdown. Not Najee Harris, not Jalen Warren. Uh Calvin Austin the third. Um those two Mountain West uh bowl games that we brought up at the beginning of our show. Not uh not looking good for Utah State in the Idaho Potato Bowl, losing 31-14 at half. Yikes. And in the Armed Forces Bowl, Air Force is beating James Madison 21-7. to And touchdown, Najee Harris. Yep. Oh, there's We're your Najee Harris touchdown. Steelers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so this the other the- bowl games today, a couple of 6-6 six and six teams facing off between South Alabama and Eastern Michigan. In the 68 Ventures Bowl, well, I know what Max Crosby's doing this afternoon um, as he preps for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Utah takes on Northwestern in the Las Vegas Bowl. That's a good one. And then Coastal Carolina takes on San Jose State in the Hawaii Bowl. Mountain West has got to show up and, and be better. Yes, they do. They gotta once again take the uh, college football cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's gonna do it this week here on Down the Line. We thank Amber Salas for joining us um, in the first half of our show. Um, all of her insight that she brings as she begins um, a new journey with Flow Sports. So, with that, for Kyle Betts, I'm Bremen Hondo. We thank you for tuning in this week uh, to an epi- another episode of Down the Line. 
Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we will be back next week. New Year, New Year show, and we are so excited for 2024. Let's go.